It's the Bible Rundown, episode 200. 165 to go, Rob. 200! This is going to be a great section. We've got Psalm 23 through 25. Psalm 23, probably the most famous scripture next to John 3.16, would you say? Yeah, for sure in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then uh, we get to go back to Acts and see what is happening towards the end of Paul's life, how the events will conclude for him. So Psalm 23, Rob, we just talked about in Psalm 22, the cry of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is immediately countered by the Lord being presented as a shepherd who leads through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet we do not have to fear evil because of the provision of God. Mm. When we read Psalm 23, what... What should be our focus? As comforting as it is and as beautiful imagery language it gives us, what do you want people to walk away from? That's a great question. I think what people need to see is is ultimately the Lord is the one who is guiding and directing everything, David. Mm -hmm. And if we come under... Him under the refuge of his wings, uh, as Psalm 2 talks about, <clears throat> then everything that we do shall prosper, just as Psalm 1 talks about. And uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us, follow me all the days of my life, and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the, the point is, is that God is actually showing us through his word that um, God has a plan in all things that we need to come underneath his his plan and take refuge in him and that we will dwell with him forever mm-hmm. the the plan of salvation is from God and God has a plan in in directing us and so even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's with us. Mm-hmm. Good word. I love uh, the end of verse 3, right? The provision of God is ultimately for His namesake. Mm-hmm. God is a jealous God, right? Um, we get the benefits, but He gets the praise and the glory. Yeah, And so... Um, he chooses to save us in the midst of our going away from him like sheep without a shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. So Jesus uses a lot of illustration of shepherding language, right? Even when he addresses his disciples. Right. So I think it's important for us to understand that imagery. But Psalm 24, Rob, has an interesting question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Mm. So I'm doing this uh, Worship Beyond Sunday equip group, which for those that are listening to our podcast and wondering what that is, these are like short-term groups that we focus on one topic. So mine is called Worship Beyond Sunday. And I asked our group a question, who can worship God? Right. And I think that this is what it's getting at. And uh, the answer 
that the psalmist gives us is that it's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Well, none of us can hold to that on our own. Christ is the one that fulfilled it for us, and therefore if we are in Christ, we are the ones that are given his cleanliness and his righteousness Mm -hmm. so that we can ascend the hill of the Lord. Uh, But what do you think about this statement, you know, be lifted up, you gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. You've, You've talked the other day about kind of the imagery of chariots and horses and right. here we have ancient gates and doors but how does that imagery tie in with how we see the bible bring things to a conclusion in terms of the city of god and who is able to enter into that place yeah so let me let me talk about the hill of the whole lord sometimes it's it's mentioned as who shall ascend the mountain of the lord so mm-hmm. there's a lot a lot here again we talked about this in previous podcasts about the hill being in relationship to Zion uh, in relationship to the Temple Mount, in relationship to the, the tent, which we saw earlier in the Psalms, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, which in relationship here, uh, I would think would be in a relationship with Sinai as well as the, the, the Lord comes down upon Sinai and he says, back up from the, from the mountain, don't touch the mountain. Because you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, Moses ascends the mountain of the Lord on behalf of the people and receives the law from the Lord. But who shall ascend that mountain? You're going to die because you're unclean. Uh, the idea, too, is in the Garden of Eden, you know, it was built, it, it was said to be built upon a mountain. And so this garden in which the Lord dwells, the dwelling place of God, who shall ascend into his presence and so the uh the answer is the one who is perfect therefore we are in christ amen like we're not we're not perfect but we are in christ who is perfect Mm -hmm. the blood of christ washes the robes of the unrighteous right yeah and so and so you, you you see this and and i think it I think uh, that idea too is the lift of your hands uh, that the glory of God may come in. The play on words here could be uh, that the glory of the Lord when he fills the temple in the days of Solomon, the glory of God comes in to his temple, his place of dwelling. The invitation for the Lord to come in, um, you know, the same can be said upon Pentecost when the the glory of the Lord came and dwelled in tongues of fire upon mankind. You know, ultimately, we want to enter into that place. The gates and the doors will be open in Revelation as well. Revelation twenty one ten. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, Rob, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. It had a great high wall. With twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the apostles of the Lamb. So be lifted up. And the gates were open. 
So the glory of God could come in. I, I, I never saw that before. In Revelation 21, the gates are open all the time because of the glory of God's coming into that place. So, yeah. so cool. I think when we read this, it's the coronation psalm of Jesus and his kingdom. And then Psalm uh, 25, unless you've got something else from Revelation. No, know. no, go ahead. Okay. I, mean, I just wanted to look at it for a minute. Go ahead. Um, the but then God's word is making me look. But then those that are part of this new kingdom in the true king are led in truth. And Psalm 25 is, man, it's, it's a beautiful psalm, reminding us of the steadfast love of God for us, reminding us that he does not remember our sins or transgressions from our youth. We see that in verse 7. But then it talks about he instructs sinners in the way. And you mentioned we are not perfect but God leads us in his perfect way so that we can humbly fulfill the good things that God has in store for us. And in verse 10 of chapter 25, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So for the people of God, the word of God is one of the prime things that we need to know in order that we can experience not only God's steadfast love and faithfulness, but that we can keep his covenant, mm. be his covenant people and actually walk as we are intended to be children of the king. Any other thoughts in, in Psalm 25 before we move to Acts? No, it's good. It's good. Um, you know, it's, it's a cry of, of all of us, right? Teach mm -hmm. me your paths, lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. That's representative of the humble that want the Lord to lead and guide them. They submit themselves under the wings of the Son. As Psalm 2 says, submission, take refuge in Him. So they're, they're submitting themselves to the Son. Let's go to... Let's go to Acts, though, because we got a lot working here. And you got Philip's daughters who are prophesying here. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't mention his son, so he has four daughters. Maybe he's a girl dad. I can relate to that. He, you have four daughters. I do. Uh, how many of them prophesy? I don't know, but they're all unmarried right now. So he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied in... Chapter 21, what are they prophesying? How does prophecy relate to the church today? That's a good question. How does prophecy not relate to the church today? That it could at this time, and I don't think it's with Philip's daughters, but prophecy, particularly the Old Testament, was pointing us forward to Christ, right? Right. Prophecy in the New Testament, once Christ has come on the scene, is proclaiming who he was and fulfilling the things that the prophets foretold, right? Mm -hmm. So the revelation of God is complete. So if somebody comes to you today and says, Rob, I'm a prophet and I have a word from the Lord to you. A new word. A new word, a fresh word, then we ought to be weary that that is actually from the Lord because the, the canon of the scripture is had those same words, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, a number of, of cult leaders can get us off the rails. I think in this case, prophecy, more than likely, was what we would probably call encouraging one another in the Lord with God's truth. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be um, things like, Rob, I 
I want to encourage you with what you're experiencing and looking back to what we did earlier. Look at this psalm and look what God has promised, what he's going to do in Christ. Is and that how what we do in preaching? It's an element of preaching, right? But preaching, I think we would make more synonymous with teaching, where prophecy is really more of an exhortation, using scripture in a way that is building up the body. That's and good. that can be done by anybody, right? Right. But it's not prophets in the sense that Isaiah was a prophet. You're not getting some new knowledge that nobody's ever had. And if somebody comes to us saying that, we steer clear. That's definitely not what these dogs so what are about, saying about. What about the next verse here? Yep. And, and I think we need to point this out is, is the next verse. We have someone who is a prophet mm-hmm. named Agabus and what he does, we would probably consider this prophecy, right? As he predicts foretelling what is happening sure to Paul. And so there is an element here of yes, I, I don't I don't think that prophecy would in the sense be uh, just just a foretelling because we have prophets that speak to us the word of God. They're not foretelling, they're just speaking what God's truth says. So I think that there's probably a range of exhortations and encouragements from the body, from the word of God. Um, and, and part of that could be foretelling. Now, we don't have prophets in our church today. We don't say, David, you are a prophet in a, in a sense that you are foretelling. Prophets were uh, ordained by God himself. God chose them to be a prophet. We have Jeremiah, Isaiah, for example, as chosen by God. Elijah is a great example of that of someone who is chosen by God to speak on his behalf. We don't have that. No. And scripture gives us clear tests for knowing if a prophet is true or not by knowing whether or not their word comes true and if it corresponds with what scripture tells us. So in Agabus's case, he's just saying, hey, the Holy Spirit says that this is what's going to happen to the person that owns this belt, right? They're going to be bound and chained by the Jews. Mm -hmm. Well, does it come true? Yes. So can Agabus be called a prophet of, of the Holy Spirit by God? Yes. Right. Is he prophesying something that is related to the word of God? Yeah. He's foretelling a suffering that Paul's going to do. What's interesting with this knowledge is Paul does not shy away from it. No. He, the prophecy doesn't affect Paul's understanding of what God wants him to do. He wants him to walk into Jerusalem to be, uh, you know, essentially taken captive and prisoner. Um, and and God, and Paul feels like this is the will of God. The prophet is just affirming to him what's going to happen. So he's, he's actually preparing him for what God wants him to do. So it doesn't change his heart. And everybody around Paul is saying what? Don't do it. Don't go. That's difficult. It's difficult. So he shows up, and another interesting thing, Paul is very big to not put burdens on Gentile believers that they have to keep, you know, vows and laws and regulations of the Jewish customs when they've come to faith in Christ. But yet here, he is not only encouraged, but follows the advice in himself acts as one who is under a vow under the law and does these ceremonial cleansings and shaves his head so as not to be a stumbling block right a distraction to kind of fit in undercover what what's the purpose of what paul did 
And what is, how does that relate to modern day, what it means for us? I think Paul is saying here, I've become all things to all people to save some. So I've become like one under the law to save those under the law. So he's now, instead of uh, dealing with his Gentile brothers, brothers whom he has been preaching the gospel to, he is now preaching the gospel to those who are under the law, and he wants that message of the gospel to be clear as possible, not them rejecting the gospel on behalf of his actions. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's a great contextualization of the gospel for us today is we may look and act differently in different places the message never changes Mm -hmm. so david probably wouldn't wear a suit and tie to a youth event or youth ministry wednesday night why because that would not be a that would be a distraction for the message i'm bringing Mm -hmm. in the same way i probably wouldn't preach in a tank top and shorts on a Sunday morning because it would be a distraction to those who need to hear the message of the gospel. I think that's a, a fair assessment or fair analogy for this, this passage. And even beyond that, cross-culturally, how we relate to people from other cultures, we don't want to put a stumbling block in their way too. Mm-hmm. So don't bring pork to a Muslim neighbor's house when you say you can bring a side for dinner, no bacon, no bacon, no no uh, no green bean uh, bacon wrapped rolls. You can't do that. But again, it's for us. It's being above reproach and not having any stumbling block against people. And regardless, the Jews were so stirred up, and it was God's will that even though Paul was following the letter to a T, he was still going to stand out ultimately to get him to Rome. So Paul's going to have this this final defense that we'll read later after he is arrested in the temple. Uh, But it's just an interesting conclusion to Paul's ministry, right? That we've come full circle. He was a minister to the Gentiles, and yet he goes back to his own. And the man who was first converted after, what, having Stephen stoned outside of the temple will now himself be facing a trial. It's good work. Bible Rundown. We'll see you tomorrow.